0: Luke 5, 27-32, and I'm reading from the message this morning. After this, he went out and saw a man named Levi at his work, collecting taxes. Jesus said, Come along with me. And he did, walked away from everything, and went with him. Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, tax men and other disreputable characters as guests at the table. The Pharisees and their religious scholars came to his disciple greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life. Change inside and out.
1: This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. We're in the second week of our sermon series called Motley Crew," And uh, for those of you who remember, the rock band is kind of a little nod to them. But it's not about their music. It's about the disciples and this, this band of of ragtag people that Jesus decided would be the ones that he would invest in most seriously over the three years of his earthly ministry so that when he was gone, there would be a group, a leadership group, that would take this Jesus movement into the future, which eventually became the church. And so the question that Heather and I have been asking each week of this sermon series is, if you're going to learn about discipleship, this seems like a really good group to learn from. So how do you learn from each of these men about what it means to follow Jesus? And what a wonderful hymn choice this morning, Tricia. Jesus calls us over the tumult and and away from those parts of our lives that might become distractions for us. That's what we're going to see today as we look at the call of Matthew. Um, One thing you need to know is that in some of the Gospels, Matthew is named Levi. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But today we're going to be talking about Uh, Matthew as one of the disciples so let's think about what what we know about Matthew what we know from at least the three synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke is that Jesus called a tax collector as one of the disciples in Mark and Luke this person is named Levi in Matthew's gospel has the same name as as the gospel itself but most scholars believe that it's the same person Uh, It's kind of like Simon Peter, you know, you have two names, it indicates the same person, and so that's what we're talking about, and that's going to become very important in understanding who this person is, because it's much different than the other disciples that Jesus has called. Early Christian tradition held that the writer of Matthew's gospel is the same tax collector, that Matthew, the writer of the gospel, and Matthew, the tax collector, are the same person. And you can see why that is, but really when you read Matthew's gospel, there's no indication that they're the same person. So our assumption today is going to be that, that this is, the identity of this person is much more important as the tax collector and probably not the person who wrote Matthew's gospel. One of the things that's important to note is that the call of this person, Matthew, for our purposes, comes after the call of four fishermen. You might remember Peter and Andrew, brothers, right? James, John, brothers. But they were all very similar. They came from a similar place uh, culturally and also geographically. They kind of shared a similar culture, similar value systems. The fact that Matthew was a tax collector was very, very different so one of the things we need to know is that immediately there's already tension within the disciples. Because it's sort of like if you ever have to do a group project. Did you remember doing those in school? Yeah. Right? And, and you find out who your team is and you're like, I like this person, I like this person. Uh, oh. Right? I don't like that person. That's going to be difficult. There's going to be some rub there. So that's one of the things that we need to know about Matthew is they probably were not overjoyed when Jesus called Matthew. And finally, one of the things we need to know about Matthew is that he runs in different circles than the other four. Okay? He's a person of means. What's the first thing he does after his call? Throws a banquet. Right? Invites everybody to come. So so he's a person of means and connections. And that's going to be important for us to pay attention to, but just note because that's different than Peter. Uh, and Andrew, and James, and John. We, we do need to spend a little bit of time talking about tax collectors and, and who they were in this uh, culture, in this climate. Uh, because I, most people, even today, don't find the word tax collector to be something you, you're positive about, you know. I mean, but it's not necessarily something you're scared of. So let me draw that contrast for you. In this culture, a tax collector was someone you might be scared of. So let's think about, in this culture, what what did that mean to be a tax collector? So the Roman government contracted the service of tax collection out to wealthy foreigners. And then they, in turn, contracted that out to the locals who would know how to extract the most money from their hometown. So these are people that would have been known in the community, but they are doing their job on behalf of someone who doesn't belong, a foreigner, okay, who is doing their job on behalf of the Roman government who occupies the land that you live in. This is kind of, you know, imagine this this context, okay? The way tax collectors made their money was by taking a cut off the top. After they returned what was owed to their boss, then they got to keep what was left over. So they were highly incentivized to collect extra. Okay? And there was a deep-seated resentment toward tax collectors among the Jewish people of Jesus' day. You might even call it a prejudice. So if you think about how we witness prejudices operating in our world today, it's this idea of who this person is before you ever even get to know them just because of the category that they fill. And these were some of the reasons why this prejudice was so difficult for tax collectors. Okay? They were known as people who were impure because they routinely had to be in contact with Roman officials who were Gentiles. For a Jew, that was a no-no. Okay? You didn't share fellowship with those who were not Jews. So they, they were routinely in contact with these folks, and that would make them unclean. So they already kind of had that status of you're playing both sides of the fence. That became very important for the last one and the fact that many of them were seen as blasphemers because you were only supposed to be loyal to Yahweh, God Almighty, as a Jew. You're supposed to have no other gods before Yahweh. But as a tax collector, you kind of have to be loyal also to the government and to Rome and to the Caesar. And so they, among Jews, they, they had this reputation of being blasphemers, which you can understand why they would want to accuse the tax collectors of everything they could think of, making them outsiders, right? And finally, just the fact that they, they routinely exploited people. That was a part of how they made their money, okay? In order to meet their obligations, they were pressured and encouraged even, incentivized to take advantage of people, so that's, that's just important to kind of know what it means to be a tax collector. Another word that's sometimes used for this is publican. But we're going to stick with, with tax collector. Okay. We're going to spend just a few moments going back then to the text of Luke chapter 5. Uh, if you look in your Bibles, what you're going to notice is that this is a chapter of call. It begins in Luke chapter 5 with the call of the four, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And then it finishes with the call of the tax collector, who in Luke is, is named Levi. For our purposes, we're just using the, the name Matthew. Okay, But in between those two call stories are two stories of healing. And it's really important to pay attention to these stories of healing. The first is when a leper is cleansed. Okay, Now remember this idea of purity. A leper would have been unclean. And so by healing this person from their leprosy, allowed them to come back into community. That was the, the gift of the healing. As much as the physical restoration, it was the restoration into community that Jesus provided for this person. Then the second healing story is when this, this paralytic, his friends, bring him to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And in that healing, Jesus says something very, very specific. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're a Jew, those are big words, okay? It's one thing to heal somebody. It's another thing to say to them, your sins are forgiven, because the only way your sins can be forgiven is through a visit to the temple and making of sacrifices. So for Jesus to give that to this person would have caused a lot of murmuring. You know how that goes? Kind of, did you see that? Did you see that? Can you believe he did that? That's my goodness, that's rather bold of him, don't you think? So even before we get to the call of Matthew, there's a lot of murmuring going on, particularly among the religious leaders. Okay, the good folk. Now, when, when you came to church this morning, I don't know if you had this thought on the way to church. I had it for just a moment, so I'll just confess in front of everybody. You know, I, I'm coming to church early on a Sunday morning. Going to do church all day? All day. Okay? I'm one of the good people. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Right on the forehead, right? Okay. So what you need to know is that the people who were most upset at the healing and what was going on, people like me, the good people. So if you had this thought on the way to church, well, look at me right? I'm one of the good people. I'm going to be there early. I'm going to show up, I'm going to do church, and I'm going to do Sunday school, and I'm going to help with the donuts or whatever it is that you're going to do. We are the ones that have the hardest time with grace. So you just need to own that with us. And, and that's what's happening here, is that the religious leaders are really struggling at this point. It didn't take long for them to get upset at Jesus. So when Jesus makes the choice to call Levi or Matthew, who is a tax collector, oh my gosh, the tension, can you just feel it? It's rising. I mean, it's one thing to offer healing to those who are unclean, the lepers. Well, good for them, right? Jesus loves them too. But oh my gosh, the second one, he forgave his sins. That's awfully bold. And then he calls Matthew a tax collector and says, come, be a part of my inner circle, Jesus. Right? What are you doing? So I just, I want to be able to to consider for us, the the fact that the, the Pharisees and the scribes are getting upset should not surprise us. Can you feel it? Can you just appreciate that, of course, they would feel that way. But I want us now to back off and and think about how Matthew would feel. We can understand how the Pharisees and the scribes would feel, but what must this invitation have meant to Matthew? So one of the things that Matthew knew about himself was that he was not the most popular person who walked into the room anywhere he went. They were not happy to see him. Okay, And they always wondered, what's he going to do? What do I need from him? How are we going to make a negotiation here? Okay. So, when Jesus calls Matthew, he receives grace beyond his imagining, beyond anything he could have ever expected. So, is it any surprise to us that he celebrates? When, when you get a pass, friends, don't you want to celebrate? You're like, oh, I'm so glad that worked out. Whew, you know? Of course, he wants to celebrate. He can't believe his good fortune. So just as natural as celebration is for Matthew, resentment is just as natural for those who perceive this grace to be extravagant, over the top, too much. It's too much grace, Jesus. So we sort of intuitively get Jesus' response, and that's what I want to be able to point out for us in the text. What does Jesus say when he hears the Everybody's whispering, and they're upset, and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I don't know how you feel about that particular sentence, but I've been hearing that sentence since I've been in Sunday school, which is, that's a long time ago, friends. And that always made me upset Because what I realized was, if I wanted Jesus, I had to acknowledge I was sick. Because he didn't come for the well people. Darn it. Oh, no. But you know what Matthew's gift is? He knows he's sick. He knows he needs a physician. He knows he's in trouble and that without a physician, he can't get well. So let me just point this out to his friends. Matthew is Jesus' target audience. That should make us uncomfortable. We should feel a little rub there. Let's talk about these discipleship lessons that we learn from Matthew. What does it mean to be a disciple? One of the things it means is that we have to learn to navigate the squeeze of competing constituencies. Do you know what it feels like when everybody wants something different from you? you know what that feels like? If you're a parent and you have more than one child, you know what that feels like. Okay? If you work in a situation where you're a supervisor or a manager or you, know, you have to manage people, you know what that feels like. And what you realize in the midst of that squeeze, that's what I call it, the squeeze, is that you're not going to make everybody happy. So a lot of times what we do is we go, well, then I don't care. I'm not going to make anybody happy. And as a parent, you're like, well, you know what? My, my job is not to be your friend. So deal with it, okay? That's what Matthew would have naturally understood because as a tax collector, he would have to have been in the midst of that squeeze all the time. Everybody is wanting something different from him. What I would point out to you is that good leadership shines in that particular situation of helping that sort of move from the situation of being squeezed and conflictual and difficult to, okay, maybe we can all get on the same page at some point and we can move on down the road. And so I'm kind of wondering if that wasn't sort of a natural strength of Matthews, that he was a good leader because he would have to know how to do that and his skill in that would have been honed out of necessity. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a chance to use that for good instead of make you better at exploiting people. Matthew reminds us that all of us should expect this feeling of being squeezed in a life of discipleship. If you think you're going to get out of that, this isn't the right path for you. okay? Because that's going to happen. But being a better leader helps you as a disciple. So I I thought Matthew was the perfect person for us to lift up the importance of leadership in the path of discipleship. That all of us in our positions of influence, in our circles of connection, the better leader we can be, the better we'll be at navigating those squeezes. And that's important in the life of a disciple. Number two, Matthew embraced the advantage of being an outlier. So I need to point out for us just initially that being an outlier is painful. I mean, you're going to feel the pain even if the label that's being placed on you is not overtly spoken. Somebody's not necessarily saying, well, you can't because you, but, but you know what they mean. You know, when you walk into a room and you get the feeling of, uh-oh, they weren't really happy to see me. Okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I don't have the right status. I didn't wear the right clothes. I, you know, Whatever it is, you know you're on the outside. You are an outlier. Maybe you've chosen a different opinion than the prevailing group. Maybe you have a different party affiliation. Ooh, you know how that feels? The conversation starts and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm the wrong color. I'm blue instead of red. Uh Uh-oh, you know? You're an outlier. In fact, you might be an outlier because you've actually benefited at the expense of others. You've gotten something nobody else had because you were willing to risk something no one else was willing to risk. I have seen people get so mad When people get something, they think that, well, I should get that too. But that person was actually willing to risk something you weren't willing to risk. And so, you know, there's a frustration there. What I would note for us is that no matter what it is that has made you an outlier, it still hurts when you realize that it has cost you relationships. So Matthew was an outlier, and what I want to note for us is that made him particularly sensitive to the power of belonging. Real belonging, okay? He knew that what Jesus was offering him wasn't an exchange. That's what Matthew was used to. Well, Matthew, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that for you. And so you know that that connection that you have with somebody is going to depend on whether you're still going to do that thing for them. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Matthew, you belong, period. You belong with me. Can you imagine how powerful that is? And so Matthew embraces the advantage of the outlier. Finally, third, and if you don't remember anything else, this is what I hope you'll remember today. When grace shows up, friends, throw a party. If it's for you, throw a big party. You have friends, right? Invite them over. Celebrate. Raise a glass of grape juice. Good. But if it's for somebody else, if they get the grace, throw them a party, okay? Because grace is worth celebrating no matter when it shows up. Surely Jesus' invitation must have sounded like good news to Matthew because he knew he was sick and needed a physician. We get why he wanted to celebrate, but I would point out for us that as good people, Sometimes it's really hard for us to celebrate when someone else gets the grace. We get resentful of others receiving more than us. A party, no way. Uh-uh. And in the midst of that, I want to point out what happens. We forget our own need for grace. We look down our nose at that person who got the grace and go, well, I don't need that grace because I'm not sick. Whew. Right? Right? And guess what? There's going to be a day where you're going to need it. So if it shows up for you, throw a party. If it shows up for somebody else, throw a party. When grace shows up, throw a party. This tax collector turned disciple shows us how beautiful it is to be included no matter what anybody else says about you, friends, they don't write your story. Jesus tells you who you are. And what Jesus tells you is you belong. You belong to me. Jesus leads you to right repentance. The kind of repentance that allows us to turn around and, and shift directions and, and do something better the next time. So I don't know about you, but I'm giving thanks today. That Jesus gives us enough grace that we can turn around and do it differently next time. And I'm ready to throw a party. Amen.